Chapter Eleven of Miss Marchbanks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Crandall. Miss Marchbanks by Mrs. Oliphant. Chapter Eleven. You have never told us who your unknown was," said Mr. Cavendish. "I suppose she is professional. Carlingford could not possibly possess two such voices in private life." Oh, I don't know about two such voices," said Miss Marchbanks. "Her voice suits mine, you know. It is always a great thing to find two voices that suit. I never would choose to have professional singers for my part. You have to give yourself up to music when you do such a thing, and that is not my idea of society. I am very fond of music," said Lucilla, excessively fond of it. But then everybody is not of my opinion, and one has to take so many things into consideration. For people who give one party in a year, it does very well. But then I hate parties. The only pleasure in society is when one's friends come to see one without any ado. In white frocks, high," said Mrs. Woodburn, who could not help assuming Lucilla's manner for the moment, even while addressing herself. But as the possibility of such les majestés did not even occur to Miss Marchbanks, she accepted the observation in good faith. Yes, I hate a grand toilette when it is only a meeting of friends," she said. "For the girls, you know, of course, you married ladies can always do what you like. You have your husbands to please," said Lucilla, and this was a little hard upon her satirist. For to tell the truth, that was a particular of domestic duty to which Mrs. Woodburn did not much devote herself, according to the opinion of Grange Lane. But about the contralto," said Mr. Cavendish. Who had come to call on Miss Marchbanks under his sister's wing, and desired above all things to keep the peace between the two ladies, as indeed is a man's duty under such circumstances. You are always statesmanlike in your views, but I cannot understand why you let poor little Molly Brown carry on her chirping when you had such an astonishing force in reserve. She must have been covered with confusion, the poor little soul. Nothing of the sort," said Mrs. Woodburn, pursuing her favorite occupation as usual. She only said, "Goodness me, how high Lucilla goes! Do you like that dreadfully high music?" and made little eyebrows. To be sure, the mimic made Miss Brown's eyebrows, and spoke in her voice, so that even Lucilla found it a little difficult to keep her gravity. But then Miss Marchbanks was defended by her mission, and she felt in her heart that, representing public interest as she did, it was her duty to avoid all complicity in any attack upon an individual. And consequently, to a certain extent, it was her duty also to put Mrs. Woodburn down. Molly Brown has a very nice little voice," said Lucilla, with most disheartening gravity. "I like to hear her sing, for my part. The only thing is that she wants cultivation a little. It doesn't matter much, you know, whether or not you have a voice to begin with. It is cultivation that is the thing," said Miss Marchbanks deliberately. "I hope you really thought it was a pleasant evening." Of course, everybody said so to me, but then one can never put any faith in that. I have said it myself ever so many times when I am sure I did not mean it. For myself, I don't give any importance to the first evening. Anybody can do a thing once, you know. The second and the third, and so on—that is the real test. But I hope you thought it pleasant so far as it went. It was a great deal more than pleasant," said Mr. Cavendish. And as for your conception of social politics, it is masterly," the future M.P. added in a tone which struck Lucilla as very significant. Not that she cared particularly about Mr. Cavendish's meaning, 
but still when a young man who intends to go into parliament congratulates a young lady upon her statesmanlike views and her conception of politics it must be confessed that it looks a little particular and then if that was what he meant it was no doubt lucilla's duty to make up her mind oh you know i went through a course of political economy at mount pleasant she said with a laugh one of the miss blunts was dreadfully strong-minded i wonder for my part that she did not make me literary but fortunately i escaped that heaven be praised said mr cavendish i think you ought to be prime minister that contralto of yours is charming raw material but if i were you i would put her through an elementary course she knows how to sing but she does not know how to move and as for talking she seems to expect to be insulted if you make a pretty behaved young lady out of that you will beat adam smith oh i don't know much about adam smith said miss marchbanks i think miss martha thought him rather old-fashioned as for poor barbara she is only a little shy but that will soon wear off i don't see what need she has to talk or to move either for that matter i thought she did very well indeed for a girl who never goes into society was it not clever of me to find her out the very first day i was in carlingford it has always been so difficult to find a voice that went perfectly with mine for my part i think it was a great deal more than clever said mr cavendish for mrs woodburn finding herself unappreciated was silent and making notes it was a stroke of genius so her name is barbara i wonder if it would be indiscreet to ask where mademoiselle barbara comes from or if she belongs to anybody or lives anywhere my own impression is that you mean to keep her shut up in a box all the week through and produce her only on the thursday evenings i have a weakness for a fine contralto if she had been existing in an ordinary habitation like other people in carlingford i should have heard her or heard of her it is clear to me that you keep her shut up in a box exactly said lucilla i don't mean to tell you anything about her you may be sure now i have found her out i mean to keep her for myself her box is quite a pretty one like what gulliver had somewhere it is just time for lunch and you are both going to stay i hope and there is poor mary chiley and her husband coming through the garden what a pity it is he is such a goose yes but you know she never would take her uncle's advice my dear said the incorrigible mimic putting on mrs chiley's face and being an orphan what could anybody do and then she does not get on with his family by the way mrs woodburn said falling into her natural tone if indeed she could be said to have a natural tone i wonder if anybody ever does get on with her husband's family the question was one which was a little grave to herself at the moment and this was the reason why she returned to her identity for there was no telling how long the woodburns who had come for christmas meant to stay i shall be quite interested to watch you lucilla when it comes to be your turn and see how you manage she went on with a keen look at miss marchbanks and mr cavendish laughed he too looked at her and lucilla felt herself in rather a delicate position not that she was agitated as might have been the case had the future m p for carlingford engaged her affections as she herself would have said fortunately these young affections were quite free as yet but nevertheless miss marchbanks felt that the question was a serious one as coming from the sister of a gentleman who was undeniably paying her attention she did not in the least wish to alarm a leading member of a family into which it was possible she might enter and then at the same time she intended to reserve fully all her individual rights i always make it a point never to shock anybody's prejudices said miss marchbanks 
I should do just the same with them as with other people. All you have to do is to show from the first that you mean to be good friends with everybody. But then I am so lucky, I can always get on with people, said Lucilla, rising to greet the two unfortunates who had come to Colonel Chiley's to spend a merry Christmas, and who did not know what to do with themselves. And then they all went downstairs and lunched together very pleasantly. As for Mr. Cavendish, he was quite devoted, as poor Mary Chiley said, with a touch of envy. To be sure, her trousseau was still in its full glory, but yet life under the conditions of marriage was not nearly such fun as it had been when she was a young lady, and had someone paying attention to her. And she rather grudged Lucilla that climax of existence, notwithstanding her own superior standing and dignity as a married lady. And Mrs. Woodburn, too, awoke from her study of the stupid young husband to remark upon her brother's behavior. She had not seen the two together so often as Mrs. Chiley had done, and consequently this was the first time that the thought had occurred to her. She, too, had been born one of the Cavendishes, as it was common to say in Carlingford, with a certain imposing, yet vague, grandeur. And she was a little shocked, like any good sister, at the first idea. She watched Lucilla's movements and looks with a quite different kind of attention after this idea struck her, and made a rapid private calculation as to who Dr. Marchbanks's connections were, and what he would be likely to give his daughter, so that it is evident that Lucilla did not deceive herself, but that Mr. Cavendish's attentions must have been marked indeed. This was the little cloud which arose, as we have said, no bigger than a man's hand over Miss Marchbanks's prosperous way. When the luncheon was over, and they had all gone, Lucilla took a few minutes to think it over before she went out. It was not that she was unduly flattered by Mr. Cavendish's attentions, as might have happened to an inexperienced young woman, for Lucilla, with her attractions and genius, had not reached the mature age of nineteen without receiving the natural homage of mankind on several clearly defined occasions. But then, the present case had various features peculiar to itself, which prevented Lucilla from crushing it in the bud, as she had meant to do with her cousin's ill-fated passion. She had to consider, in the first place, her mission in Carlingford, which was more important than anything else. But though Miss Marchbanks had vowed herself to the reorganization of society in her native town, she had not by any means vowed that it was absolutely as Miss Marchbanks that she was to accomplish that renovation. And then there was something in the very idea of being M.P. for Carlingford which moved the mind of Lucilla. It was a perfectly ideal position for a woman of her views, and seemed to offer the very field that was necessary for her ambition. This was the reason, of all others, which made her less careful to prevent Mr. Cavendish from saying the words than she had been with Tom. To be sure, it would be a trial to leave the drawing-room after it had just been furnished so entirely to her liking, not to say her complexion, but still it was a sacrifice which might be made. It was in this way that Miss Marchbanks prepared herself for the possible modifications which circumstances might impose. She did not make any rash resolution to resist a change which, on the whole, might possibly be for the best, but prepared herself to take everything into consideration— and possibly to draw from it a superior good. In short, she looked upon the matter as a superior mind, trained in sound principles of political economy, might be expected to look upon the possible vicissitudes of fortune, with an enlightened regard to the uses of all things, and to the comparative values on either side. 
Barbara Lake, as it happened, was out walking at the very moment when Miss Marchbanks sat down to consider this question. She had gone to the School of Design to meet Rose, with an amiability very unusual in her. Rose had made such progress after leaving Mount Pleasant under her father's care, and by the help of that fine feeling for art which has been mentioned in the earlier part of this history, that the charge of the female pupils in the School of Design had been confided to her, with a tiny little salary, which served Mr. Lake as an excuse for keeping his favourite little daughter with him. Nothing could be supposed more unlike Barbara than her younger sister, who just came up to her shoulder, and was twice as serviceable and active and nice, according to the testimony of all the children. Barbara had led her father a hard life, poor man, the time that Rose was at Mount Pleasant. But, now that his assistant had come back again, the poor drawing-master had recovered all his old spirits. She was just coming out of the school of design with her portfolio under her arm when Barbara met her. There were not many pupils, it is true, but still there were enough to worry poor Rose, who was not an imposing personage, and who was daily wounded by the discovery that, after all, there are but a limited number of persons in this world, especially in the poorer classes of the community, and under the age of sixteen, who have a feeling for art. It was utterly inconceivable to the young teacher how her girls could be so clever as to find out each a different way of putting the sublime features of the Belvedere Apollo out of the drawing, and she was still revolving this difficult problem when her sister joined her. Barbara, for her part, was occupied with thoughts of a hero much more interesting than he of Olympus. She was flushed and eager, and looking very handsome under her shabby bonnet, and her anxiety to have a confidant was so great that she made a dart at Rose, and grasped her by the arm under which she was carrying her portfolio, to the great discomposure of the young artist. She asked, with a little anxiety, "'What is the matter? Is there anything wrong at home?' and made a rapid movement to get to the other side." "'Oh, Rose,' said Barbara, panting with haste and agitation, "'only fancy! I have just seen him! I met him right in front of Masters's, and he was taking his hat off to me. I feel in such a way I can scarcely speak.' "'Met who?' said Rose, for she was imperfect in her grammar, like most people in a moment of emergency. And besides, she shared to some extent Miss Marchbanks's reluctance to shock the prejudices of society.' and was disturbed by the idea that somebody might pass and see Barbara in her present state of excitement, and perhaps attribute it to its true cause. "'Oh, you stupid little thing,' said Barbara, giving her a shake by her disengaged arm. "'I tell you, him! The gentleman I met at Lucilla Marchbanks's. He looked as if he was quite delighted to see me again, and I am sure he turned round to see where I was going. He couldn't speak to me, you know, the first time.' though indeed I shouldn't be the least surprised if he had followed, at a distance, you know, only to see where I live, said Barbara, turning round and searching into the distance with her eager eyes. But there was nobody to be seen in the street, except some of Rose's pupils lingering along in the sunshine, and very probably exchanging similar confidences. Barbara turned back again with a touch of disappointment. I am quite sure he will find out before long, and don't forget I said so, she added with a little nod of her head. I don't see what it matters if he found out directly, said Rose. Papa would not let anybody come to our house that he did not approve of, and then, you know, he will never have anything to say to people who are patronizing. I don't want to hear any more about your fine gentleman. If you were worried as I am, you would think much more of getting home than of anybody bowing to you in the street. 
one of the gentlemen from marlborough house once took off his hat to me said rose with a certain solemnity of course i was pleased but then i knew it was my design he was thinking of my honiton flounce you know i suppose this other one must have thought you had a pretty voice this time however it was an angry shake that barbara gave to her sister i wish you would not be such a goose she said who cares about your honiton flounce he took off his hat because because he admired me i suppose and then it was a great deal more than just taking off his hat he gave me such a look papa has no sense though i suppose you will blaze up when i say so he ought to think of us a little as for patronizing i should soon change that i can tell you but then papa thinks of nothing but paying his bills and keeping out of debt as he says as if everybody was not in debt and how do you suppose we are ever to get settled in life it would be far more sensible to spend a little more and go into society a little and do us justice only think all that that old doctor is doing for lucilla and there are four of us when the little ones grow up said barbara in a tone of injury i should like to know what papa is thinking of if mamma had not died when she did it was not poor mamma's fault said rose i dare say she would have lived if she could for all our sakes but then you have always taken a false view of our position barbara we are a family of artists said the little mistress of the school of design she had pretty eyes very dewy and clear and they woke up under the excitement of this proud claim when papa is appreciated as he deserves and when willie has made a name said rose with modest confidence things will be different but the true strength of our position is that we are a family of artists we are everybody's equal and we are nobody's equal we have a rank of our own if you would only remember this you would not grudge anything to lucilla marchbanks and then i am sure she has been very kind to you oh bother said the unfeeling barbara you do nothing but encourage papa with your nonsense and i should like to know what right lucilla marchbanks has to be kind to me if i am not as good as she is it is a very strange thing i should never take the trouble to think about him if it was not that lucilla believes he is paying her attention that is the great fun it would be delicious to take him from her and make game of her and her kindness goodness there he is again i felt sure that he would try to find out the house and barbara crimsoned higher than ever and held rose fast by the arm and called her attention by the most visible and indeed tangible signs to the elegant apparition like any other underbred young woman as for rose she was a little gentlewoman born and had a horror unspeakable of her sister's bad manners when mr cavendish made a movement as if to address barbara it was the pretty eyes of rose lifted to his face with a look of straightforward surprise and inquiry which made him retire so hastily he took off his hat again more respectfully than before and pursued his walk along grove street as if he had no ulterior intention in visiting that humble part of the town as for barbara she held rose faster than ever and almost pinched her arm to move her attention i knew he was trying to find out the house she said in an exultant whisper and lucilla thinks he is paying her attention for to be sure when miss marchbanks took to being kind to barbara she conferred upon the contralto at the same moment a palpable injury and grievance which was what the drawing-master's daughter had been looking for for several years of her life and naturally lucilla who was at this moment thinking it all over under the soft green shadows from her new hangings was deprived of the light which might have been thrown on her reflections 
had she seen what was going on in Grove Street. But the conditions of humanity are such that even a woman of genius cannot altogether overstep them, and Lucilla still continued to think that Mr. Cavendish was paying her attention, which, indeed, was also the general opinion in Grange Lane. End of chapter 11 Recorded by Michelle Crandall, Fremont, California, June 2009